Last month, Donald Trump's Commerce Secretary, the investor Wilbur Ross, said the administration would notify Congress before its April recess of its intent to renegotiate the terms of the 23-year-old North American Free Trade Agreement. Trump met on April 6th and 7th in Florida with Chinese Premier Xi Jinping, and trade was on the agenda there too. But now it looks as though Trump's self-imposed NAFTA deadline will slip, and Trump is under fire from trade opponents for failing thus far to do much to reduce the U.S. trade deficit with China. What's going on with Trump's plan to reshape American trade policy? I'm Sean Zeller, and this is CQ Roll Call's Week Ahead podcast. I'll discuss it today with Ellen Ferguson, our trade reporter. Ellen and I are podcasting from our Washington studio, Steps from the White House. So, Ellen, welcome. Thank you. What's expected to come of this meeting between Trump and the Chinese Premier Xi? It's unknown at this point. It was a get-together, get-meet-and-greet sort of meeting since uh, Trump is a, a new president. I think it was probably anyone who expected anything uh, definitive to come out of this was probably a little overly optimistic. Um, we were expecting the president to talk with President Xi about um, some of the concerns that his administration has with trade deficits. The United States is running a trade deficit of about $347 billion with China. And the president has said that represents a transfer of wealth from the United States, lost investment in businesses here, lost jobs. I'm sure that the, the Chinese also have some concerns about the trade relationship, but I think this was more of a, uh, an opportunity for the Chinese to get a better feel for a president who was not a politician, that they don't have a whole lot to go on besides his campaign uh, rhetoric. Now, what do economists say about trade deficits? Is it so simple that having a big trade deficit is a bad thing? There's a division of opinion on it. Um, I think the mainstream um, trade economists believe that trade deficits are not necessarily a cause for alarm. Uh, the president has chosen an economist, Peter Navarro, who believes that it is. And there's a, a school of thought on that that says that it is something that needs to be addressed. Um, it rep represents a, a loss of investment in the United States. The mainstream part of the uh, economists believe that it's part of the normal give and take of trading partners and that the United States could not have a trade deficit if it were not a, a large economy with relative wealth. Now, let me explain what a deficit means. It means that we are selling into China, but we are buying more from China than we are selling into China. That's the deficit. And it's made up of many components. We sell a lot of soybeans to, to China. China sells us a lot of computers. And we also sell services to each other. So in the end, it winds up that we have bought more from China than China has bought from us. It is something that concerns the president, concerns the administration, and they have tied it to jobs. And I think there is a concern generally in the public about trade deficits. And what does that mean? And why is it that we're not selling more? I think Amer that's Americans love the inexpensive goods they're able to get from China, right? They lap it up, and to take that away could be a problem. Well, there's some question about, in the end, how much we would wind up taking away, depending on what the administration decides to do. The uh, president has talked about putting a 45% tariff increase on imports from China, which would raise the cost. But on the other hand, there might be some other things that would happen in which the dollar would strengthen. 
And so, therefore, American consumers would have more purchasing power. They would continue to buy those imports. So there's some question about um, what the ripple effects would be. For many Americans, there's sort of a, a disconnect. You know, a lot of people like to rail against the cheap imports, particularly goods from China, but they're watching for those Kmart specials. They're running down to Walmart. Right, they're buying them. Uh, the discount, the discount store phenomenon in, this, in the United States is based largely on imports, many of them from China. Right, right, indeed. And you talk about the value of the dollar. The United States, some in the United States, have long charged China with manipulating its currency, making its currency weaker, so that its exports are are more appealing to Americans. And Donald Trump was among those who criticized China for that. But in February, his his Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin, former Goldman Sachs banker, he said that the United States wasn't ready to act yet on Chinese alleged currency manipulation. So what's the holdup there? What's going on with that? Well, the Treasury Department puts out a report twice a year, one in April and I believe in October that takes a look at foreign exchange rates. So what the administration has said is that the Treasury Department will be issuing its report um, where it looks at the foreign exchange rates and then making a determination about who gets labeled as currency manipulator. The um, April 2016 report looked at, at various countries and there were five or six. The governments had intervened quite a bit in establishing the value of their currency. Well, China was among the four or five, but there was Germany, South Korea, I believe Taiwan. So not the usual suspects, as we say. But the report went into detail about what it could ascertain as to why. China has been, in the past, an active uh, government that worked to artificially uh, keep the value of its currency low. But in recent years, what it has been doing has been trying to keep the value of its of its currency from sinking um, against the dollar. And that's primarily because they're going through their transition from having been an export-oriented economy to being a more consumer-driven economy, a wealthy economy like the United States. We're consumer-driven. They're making that transition, so they're trying to balance that. So the flag was not dropped on China at that point, but interestingly, Japan, some flags were raised about that. They weren't called currency manipulators, but there was some language in there about concerns about the level of government involvement, not just Japan, but some of the other economies. Now, the president did campaign on labeling China as a currency manipulator. How do you define that? There's uh, Can they do anything about it if indeed? Well, I mean, the, there is a law that Congress passed in 2016, I believe, in which it laid out steps that you would take if you found a government having intervened quite a bit to lower the artificially lower the value of its currency. It requires notifying, I think, IMF. But in the end, it's not clear to me, and I'm not a trade expert, I would say, it's not clear to me what exactly happens to an economy if it's labeled a currency manipulator, especially to an economy that we have such, we're, we have such ties to, whether we like it or not. So I think the administration has decided to kind of slow walk this and take a better look at what the consequences could be, um, because I think the president and his team are finding that Many things in this economy are uh, intertwined. 
if you push here, there's a reaction somewhere else. And so you have to try and find a balance. So one of the things that might be slowing Trump's trade policy is that he doesn't have his U.S. trade representative in place. He's named Robert Lighthizer, a lawyer at a white shoe firm here in Washington, to be his USTR person. But he hasn't been confirmed by the Senate. You mentioned earlier Peter Navarro. He's a former University of California economics professor who Trump named to head his National Trade Council. Then there's Steven Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary. Who's driving the train right now on trade? Well, that has been a frequent question raised on Capitol Hill. The president seems very fond and very respectful of Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, who seems to have taken a central role at this point. But it's un- unclear at this point if, if Ross has emerged as a central person simply because there is no trade representative and the administration wants to get started on its trade agenda or if that represents some long-term issue. At his nomination hearing, Mr. Lighthizer told the uh, Finance Committee that by law, the U.S. trade representative is the negotiator, the co- coordinator of trade policy for the United States, and that he would continue to play that role. But there has always been room for other agencies to step in to offer their expertise during various negotiations or in trade enforcement cases. Mr. Lighthizer is being held up at this point, not because anybody disagrees that he's well qualified, but the Democrats are working and trying to find a place to gain some advantage on coal miners' retirement, health and retirement benefits. All right. We have this survey at CQ Roll Call. We poll congressional staffers, and one of the things we've been asking them is whether we think Trump will make changes to the North American Free Trade Agreement. And in our most recent poll in March, Democratic staffers were very skeptical. Only about a third of them said they thought Trump would follow through. Republicans, it was slightly more than half, so not a ringing endorsement. Um, And it looks as though Trump's plan to notify Congress of his intent to renegotiate NAFTA will slip. Should we read anything into that? That it's slipping? Not necessarily. My understanding of trade preparations and trade negotiations is they're always slipping deadlines because there are a number of parties involved. One thing that people should credit the president with is when he came in and started talking about renegotiating NAFTA, people kind of scoffed at that. But you now see Canada and Mexico saying, okay, yeah, it's a old, it's an older trade agreement. There are things that were not addressed, were economies, you know, businesses that didn't exist. Digital trade, e-commerce did not exist when this was negotiated. So we can revisit and address some of those things. And we have some areas where we'd like to refine under the original trade agreement. And you also see um, some members in Congress also talking about, okay, yes, this is an older agreement. None of them go as far as the president originally did about you know, ripping up NAFTA and maybe withdrawing the United States. I, I don't say that the president has taken withdrawing from NAFTA off the table, but he is not talking about that at this point. I think with Commerce Secretary Ross's prediction of sending the letter over, that seemed quite ambitious and quite optimistic at the time. I don't know that I put a whole lot of stock in the fact that they missed that particular deadline. I think they were hoping that Mr. Lighthizer, the uh, USTR nominee, might be in place to help further that along. 
Right. And all this is happening at a time when Congress is considering a trade bill, which would increase taxes on imports from places like Mexico, right? I mean, it's uh, that could complicate the picture, I would imagine, in terms of renegotiating NAFTA, if we're talking also about taxing their imports at the same time. Well, I think uh, you've seen the White House kind of go back and forth on the border tax. And I also think you've seen a number of members of Congress, particularly the Texas delegation, um, be somewhat skeptical of it, even though um, Chairman Brady, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, has been the uh, kind of main um, proponent of the uh, border adjustment tax. So I think at this point it would have a rough go in Congress. Um, There are a number of states that have very close ties to Mexico economically. There are industries that have done well um, under NAFTA with Mexico. They have some questions and some problems with Canada, but they like their relationship with Mexico. Agriculture is a primary one, with the exception of maybe sugar, which has had some some trade problems with the sugar industry in, in Mexico. I think a border tax would have a hard time unless it's the concept or perhaps the execution of it is is further defined. There was a hearing um, that I attended at the House Agriculture Committee where several representatives, tax experts for agriculture, testified and said, in theory, this sounds good because we can see it boosting exports, but we have some questions about what sort of direct benefits there would be to us. They did mention Mexico, but then they talked about things that they import. They rely heavily on fertilizer. A lot of that's imported. Fuel, that's imported. So they had their questions about whether there would be a uh, wash. So I think it all depends. Well, trade was a big part of Trump's campaign. We're going to keep an eye on it. Thanks for coming in, Ellen. All right. Thank you. I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.